The college football playoff committee has lost the plot entirely. Many words have already been spilled on how little credibility the committee has, and let's be clear, they have none. Zero, zilch, nada. Before I get into this, I want to be clear that I am a fan of the playoff concept. I think it makes the sport more interesting and adds at least one extra game per postseason that has intense national title-like implications. When the lights are actually on and the teams are on the field, I think the product is outstanding. That having been said, everything they do up to that point in the season does not work at all. It is a failure and it needs to be rectified yesterday. The midweek ranking show is currently the worst thing about the institution of college football, and it's not even remotely close. People are quick to point out that these rankings are ultimately meaningless, and it only exists so people will talk about them and drive engagement, and I agree wholeheartedly, which is why it should not exist. The examples of the committee being a parody of itself are too much to list over the last eight seasons. However, Michigan being ranked ahead of Michigan State despite losing to that team nine days prior to the most recent poll being released and also having identical win-loss records, is the most recent example of ineptitude. When pressed on the committee's decision-making process, Iowa Athletic Director Gary Barta so eloquently explained the committee did it mostly because they felt like it. It would have been much more convincing if he would have told the truth. Basically, it's because SP Plus and other analytical models like Michigan a lot more. I hate the committee. I hate this ranking show. I hate that the committee's love affair with game control and finding the four quote-unquote best teams and not the most deserving teams devalues wins and makes gritty, hard-fought victories feel like failures. It's wrong. It needs to go away. I'm Grant Benson. This is West of Everest. Back to pass Brewer. Looks left again. Throws across the middle. Dropped! Oh, Benito had it in his hands! Nick Benito had the game in his hands and couldn't hang on. It'll be second and ten with 34 seconds to go. Second down. From the 40. Brewer wasn't expecting the snap. He's got it. Quick throw out. It is! Yes! Intercepted! He got it Intercepted! It was Benito! You can unhitch the wagon! Put the ponies in the barn! In Waco, Texas, Lincoln Riley by the defense. took a house in disrepair and refurbished it into their own palace on the banks of the Brazos. Unbelievable! What better way to get the juices flowing than playing Toby Rowland and Teddy Lehman's call of Nick Benito's dropped game-winning interception, followed immediately by Benito's caught game-winning interception a couple of years ago in Waco. And extra credit goes to Toby on the call for his fixer-upper reference at the end of it there. Somewhere, Chip and Joanna Gaines were both sad and impressed with that game-winning radio call. All right, welcome into the show today. I am Lee Benson. We're back after the bye week, and full transparency, I'm still feeling a little bit under the weather. For those of you who saw on the West of Everest Facebook page, my voice has been giving me some issues the last couple of days. I feel a a lot better today, but I'm still trying to take it a little bit easy. So because of that, I might be a little bit more muted today than normal. So it's a good thing that 
My co-host Grant Benson's here to say a lot of things, I'm assuming. So Grant, I ask you, how was your open week? It was okay. It was all right. Um, just like uh, a lot of bye weeks, it was something that I kind of at first I was looking forward to, but once Saturday came and there was no OU football to watch, it was just kind of like, eh, this is sort of lame. Even though, I mean, there, there, there was some pretty good stuff to watch on Saturday. Uh, and then kind of an entertaining uh, Sunday of NFL football as well. Was uh, So, I mean, it was fine. It was great, but I'm definitely ready to get back to, uh, to OU football this weekend. Same here. And before I give you my thoughts on the latest college football playoff rankings, I know your opening take addressed the rankings. Is there anything else that you'd want to add uh, in addition to what your opening take had about the, uh, well, I'm trying to think of the best way to describe it, the, the ludicrous... The ludicrous list of teams. That's stupid. Uh, yeah, whatever. No, you see, I, I'm, and, and obviously, I mean, if you've listened to this the last, you know, the last handful of years, you know that I that I'm not a fan of the committee. I'm not a fan of the way that they rank teams. Um, didn't talk about this as much last season. Uh, you know, mostly just because OU was was kind of out of it right away uh, last season, as they as they should have been, as they should have been, because they lost two in a row right away. Um, but, I mean, if you go back to all the way to 2019, especially in November, uh, just listening to how much I railed against the committee, you know, uh, in, in, in that season as well. Uh, this year, it's just, it, it's kind of taken on um, just a, a, it's an entirely different beast this season, I feel like. Um, and maybe that's just living in the moment and not realizing that it's, it's probably been like this every single year. It's just maybe right now, just in this current moment, it's just, it just feels like it's a lot more ridiculous than it is. Um, but I've kind of I've I've reached my wits end. I can't stand it. Um, the 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 weekly ranking show, them even coming out with rankings, uh, to be honest with you, before the final one is totally pointless. Um, and to everyone who is saying that it's the the only reason why these ranking shows exist is is so that I I will come on here and talk about it. That's definitely true. But have you have you come around anybody who is happy with with, the, with this ranking show? Or has anything really but kind of contempt for the way that they do things, how not transparent they are. Uh, I, I just think it's caused a lot more problems than it's helped. And maybe they have um, maybe they have a, some numbers saying that God, the TV ratings are great and it's driving engagement and we like that. But I don't think it's good. I, I think it's taken away a lot of the fun of the week-to-week conversation of the sport just because it's, you know... Um, one of the things that I that I like I and this is something that I've kind of been chewing on a lot the last couple of weeks is I just I I, I much prefer the old traditional way of doing things of um, elevating not having any losses above anything else. Um, I understand there's a lot of people who really like analytics. There's a lot of people who really really are hung up on just kind of this this four quote unquote best teams metric and prefer to to, to put a lot of the analytics in there. Um, I, I don't like that. I think it's boring. I think it sucks. I think it makes. I think it devalues wins. It devalues the actual result of the game, and it makes the week to week conversation just incredibly boring. It, it it makes it boring, frustrating, um, and it just. I, I'm I'm sick of it. I'm totally done with it. I much prefer the traditional of if you lose a game, you drop. Um, I, I and I know there's a lot of people who would have issues with that. I just find it much more fun that way. Um, I, you know, I, I look at it in the sense of, I think it's just, it's, um, let's say you have undefeated Oklahoma, undefeated Michigan state, undefeated wake forest even. And I understand the arguments of, well, if you're trying to find the four best teams, 
their, their schedules haven't been great. They've looked kind of off in some games. They've looked like they're not a complete team in others. But to that, I say, who cares? A lot of your, a, a lot of the arguments for um, when we see stuff like Alabama and Oregon and Ohio State and the Michigan schools where they are is, ah, oh, it'll all work itself out anyway. OU shouldn't be that that worried because if they went out, it'll all work itself out anyway. I could make that exact same argument in the reverse. If OU is number two right now, which they should be, um, if uh, if Wake Forest was number four or if Cincinnati was number three or whatever, I could easily say, yeah, if they don't deserve to be there, they're going to lose. And it'll all work itself out. And if you follow the rules of if you lose, you should drop, then yeah, if they lose, they're going to drop. Um, and and honestly, top four Wake Forest in the middle in the beginning of November is way more fun than the rankings that they put out there. Entirely more fun, more interesting. Um, and I think everyone... If, if that actually happened, would agree on that, but maybe not. Yeah, there's a lot of stuff there. I, I, I'm going to probably fail to address some of it, uh, but I, I would push back in the sense that you, you say it's the playoff show is making it not as fun to talk about it or it's not. I, I disagree. I, isn't this more fun to, to point and laugh at this group of people and no because I, I think it because this it. conversation has taken over college football it's about just how inept the committee is not about the actual stuff that's so, happening okay whereas like and so like but for this i can only speak personally but absolutely the the committee and the way that they rank teams and what they elevate in terms of what they're looking for has made this season a lot less fun to be an ou football fan because going into every game, uh, and, and you're, the, really? you and I, are, I you, we're going to see totally different on this. Because I know when I tell you, when I say stuff like this, your response a lot of times is going to be, that's just your perception. That's a you problem. You not having fun watching it. Uh, but I, you know, I can only speak for myself. And I know it's a, lot, it's a lot harder to enjoy a 16-13 to 13 win over West Virginia or a 37-31 to 31 win over Kansas State when I know the committee is not going to give them any credit for those wins whatsoever. I know that they're losing credit. They're losing value in these wins by not blowing them out because the committee has said well, over and over again, that's pretty much all we care about is you dominating teams. Well, they should lose. Well, they, they should lose value for it. And the reason why the, the, the situation is set up the way it is is because it's, this isn't the NFL. Uh, there's not only 32 teams. There's, there's so many teams out there. And when a lot of teams don't play each other, there's other metrics that get involved. I, under I understand that logic. I'm just my argument is that that is boring. It's stupid. It creates more problems than it when, when we should just do something traditional. And maybe my maybe maybe well, my maybe. opinion would change if OU was eight and one right now and was not nine and zero. Um, I just like it's. I'm just gonna go back to I mean, it. It, yeah. It, it's just it's boring. I, I don't think it's. I don't. I don't know why it's. I don't know why it's boring though. I mean, uh, by that logic, I mean uh, all the group of five teams that are undefeated, then they should just be ahead of everybody in the Power Five that's lost one or two games and. We know objectively by watching these teams and seeing how they play that they're not better than a one-loss Alabama. And I'm you know? fine. And, and that's just the downside I'm, of I'm college football. I'm fine with creating some sort of barrier between Power Five and Group of Five, like Cincinnati. I'm fine with that. Um, where I start to have problems is when you have it is when you have one-loss Power Five teams like Alabama, Oregon, all of them ahead of Oklahoma right now. I have a problem with that. When you get nine games into a season in college football, historically, people who have watched college football know that that's pretty rare. That didn't happen very often. That's hard to do. And what they're doing is they are elevating this other stuff that actually doesn't matter in the win and loss column ahead of things as justification for ranking these teams ahead of other teams that haven't lost a game. 
I got a problem with that. It's it makes it it to me it just it it completely devalues a lot of wins in that situation. Um, and this crap with Gary Barter saying OU is getting credit for being nine or no. That's why they're number eight. Get the hell out of here with that crap. That is such a slap in the face. Completely a slap in the face. You're not giving OU credit whatsoever for being nine and zero. Well, the, all they're saying is that hey. OU, all your good games are still to come, and whenever you win those games, if you win those games, then we'll bump you up. Exactly, we'll you and you That's know what? All it is. I mean, that if- would be that would be exactly the same if they were number two, like they should be right now. It would just be like, okay, well, that sure they're nine or no, they haven't looked great, but they've done they've done something only one other Power Five team has been able to do this year, which is make it through nine games without losing a game. I value that. I think the traditional college football fan values that a lot more than what FPI or SP Plus says. No, I, and I get that. And yeah, so, so seeing Alabama at two. And, and if OU lost. doesn't deserve to be there based on how they've performed in the season, they're going to lose and it'll work itself out. No, and, and I get that. And that's, that's why this thing shouldn't happen until the very end. Because, you know, if, if these rankings were not coming out, as far as we know right now, Oklahoma is the second best team, is number two. And it, but the fact that they release it every week, we know that they're not. Uh, but I guess my main thoughts on it is, you know, everybody hates the college football playoff ranking show and everybody hates the committee right now. But in my opinion, there's not really a, there's not really a true reason to actually hate all of this, like in the same way you hate Texas or something or the same way you hate you actually hate something because all you're doing is that you're allowing this ranking show and you're allowing the playoff committee to affect your mood and it's giving this this whole charade power. You're allowing the committee to do exactly what they're trying to do, which is get to you. And that's why I choose to just kind of roll my eyes at the latest rankings and simply stay, like you were saying, that these rankings are designed only for us to talk about it and that's it and you move on with your life. Because... And, and another thing is I really hate being just generic opinion guy and having full hate in your heart and detest for the college football playoff rankings and the show and the committee. It's at this point, it's turned into a generic opinion. So therefore, I always try to find an alternate angle of this whole thing because everybody has the same opinion on it. And the only thing that's going to change my mind is that if we get down to the final college football playoff rankings, the only one that actually matters and it comes out. And all these ridiculous inconsistencies that we're seeing in this current poll, the main one obviously being Michigan being ahead of Michigan State, if at the very end, this stuff ends up costing a team a playoff spot, okay, at that point, the poll is not just about talking. The, the poll is actually deciding who plays in the playoff. That's when, I, when I'd have a problem. And, the, and my thing is, I guess, I just don't think that they're going to do that at the end because they know that last one actually matters. So that's why they're just doing this now for us just to talk about. In my explanation, that's why I emphasize to me, it ruins the conversation week to week of college football because what the committee is doing, what they've done over the last two weeks, how they rank the teams, that drives the narrative and the conversation in the country that ESPN talks about, that Fox Sports talks about. It's something that you can't escape it. It's all just about the committee and their rankings. And like, and this is where I think you and I are going to diverge because I don't think you really care about the, com- the conversation week to week. I do. College football is an experience for me. It's fun. It's a fun part of the season. When the, when the committee starts coming out with their rankings, that narrative, that storyline dominates the season and the conversation. And it's driving me insane because the rankings are totally subjective and they do pick and choose what metrics they want to use conveniently when it suits their argument. 
And it's just, it's, I don't like it. I don't like it. So what do simplify. you mean? So what do simplify, you mean? Simplify, simplify. So when you say you like the conversation, what would you rather the conversation be about then at this time of the year? Like, what do you, if the rankings, let's say they didn't come out every week, you just, you just like, just, hey, like, oh, there's a big, uh, Penn State plays Michigan this week. Let's talk about that. And then, like, that's what you mean? You just want to talk about these games? About, it's about the games. It's about, it, it should be about, can Baylor beat Oklahoma? Can Baylor beat 9-0 and number two Oklahoma this week? Can Baylor finally get Oklahoma? They, they've been living on the edge. Whereas the conversation mostly right now is about Oklahoma has to look impressive to beat Baylor and not not about, gosh, man, if Baylor beats Oklahoma, that's a really great win for them. It's just all about can OU blow Baylor out enough to impress the committee. That's boring as hell. That's stressful. I mean, can't you do both? You can talk about the rankings. You can also talk about the game. I mean, Oklahoma doesn't need to blow out Baylor. They just need to Sure, you can, but I'm, ESPN's not talking about that. Well, I mean, so you don't have to. You can listen to other stuff. I mean, I that's why. And I see, guess this I is where, yeah, you're not a very good person to talk to about. I I hope that I am connecting with other people who listen to this and 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 understand kind of the emotional range I'm talking about. You, Lee, you're pretty even keeled. You're just like, eh, if I don't like something, I'm I'm totally okay with leaving it in the rearview mirror well, and not thinking other, about it. I can find other thing, other outlets that talk about that stuff. I mean, ESPN doesn't. They don't really talk about game to game stuff, anyways. Even before the rankings come out, it's it's more just like, I mean, they, a lot of their money right now is into NFL stuff. They have like they don't really have like a college football show, anyways, during the week. Like they do an NFL show and the NBA. So, and then obviously when the playoff rankings come out, they have that playoff ranking show. So of course they're going to focus on that. But ESPN is not really the place to go, except for what college game day, probably every Saturday morning. I'm, I'm you know they they do their however shallow their analysis is with game picks there i never watch that show anymore so i mean like you can you can find i'm sure there's plenty of podcasts out there that talk about this stuff all the time that you can go to if, if you're not finding it on espn you're i know you're you're t- so i'm just saying it, it, it is it is true that the national conversation what espn when they do talk about it when fox when they do talk about it when the biggest college football writers when they do talk about it it's all about reacting to what the committee's rankings are that week that is by far the number one story in college football in November. That and and you're saying don't pay attention to that. Uh, look out for stuff that you would prefer to listen to. But I like the national conversation. The national conversation is what is a part of what makes college football fun. And you're just telling me just don't care about that. And I mean that's well, not I mean, a good argument as far as I'm concerned. I, I think the rankings being on a Tuesday night, like isn't it the you know the next day people talk about the rankings, and then maybe the next day they talk about it. But by, by the time you get to Friday. If you're listening to anything and like you find a show and they're talking about college football, they're going to be talking about the games coming up on Saturday. They're going to be talking about what's going to happen during the games. They're not going to only talk about the rankings. I, I actually, I totally disagree with you. I don't think that's that's not the case. Everything is through the lens of the college football playoff rankings. Okay. Which don't matter and only exist to drive conversation and engagement. Gotcha. And so it's it's and it's not as easy for me just to say, oh well, that's clearly what they're for. So I'm just going to totally forget about that aspect of my very favorite sports, maybe my very favorite thing on planet Earth. I, I think that's silly. Hmm. <sighs> All right, I don't have anything else on this. Let's move on to the next subject. And this is an interesting one because we're not going to talk OU Baylor yet. We're going to talk Woody Washington. And, and this is the biggest development of the week. And speaking on Tuesday, Alex Grinch had a lot of positive things to say about Woody Washington. He said at this point, this is the most hopeful they've been about Woody playing in a game and that it's trending that way. 
And then today, earlier today, this is we're recording this on Thursday, Lincoln Riley talked to the media for the first time this week, and he, he was not as enthused as Alex Grinch. Riley said, quote, we're cautiously optimistic, and quote, that there's a difference between doing drills on the practice field and going full speed on Saturday. I do think he's close to being able to turn it loose, end quote. It's at this point when I tell you, the West of Everest listeners, that earlier this week, I was made aware by a trusted source that Woody Washington is expected to be available to play this Saturday as long as there wasn't going to be a setback this week in practice. This is incredibly shocking news, and I'm incredibly happy to have been wrong about my Woody Washington timetable for return. I want to be clear about something. I'm not sure if I've made this fully clear yet on the show. The information I got weeks and weeks ago after Woody got hurt in the Western Carolina game, the info I got on the injury sounded to me like it'd be best case scenario, he'd be back by the Big 12 title game. And I know what the injury is or what the injury was, and it's not something that should be rushed. I'll just, I'll give you, it's a lower body thing, and I'll leave it at that. So I really hope that Woody and the Oklahoma training staff They've waited until he's 100% to get back out on the field because I am afraid of a re-injury if he's not 100%. But that being said, I can't imagine knowing what this injury is, and I, and I don't think this is the place. I, I just I know what it is, and I don't think I, I have the uh, – I've been clear to actually say what it is. I, it's hard for me to believe that they would put him out there if he wasn't ready. And so this is surprising to me, Grant. I know that you kind of know what I know a little bit. Uh, But Woody Washington being back on the field, he is expected to be available. And again, as long as there's not a setback, and and I haven't heard anything of a setback, and now it's it's Thursday evening, Woody Washington is going to be back on the field this Saturday. To what extent, that's unclear. But this is a huge development, and I am surprised, and I I know you are too. Yeah, this is great. I mean, it's great news. Um, you're right. I mean, I, I, I was privy to, to some of your information as well. Um, I, I'm, I'm really surprised too. Uh, it, to me, it, it sounded like it could be a pretty serious injury. Um, and, and I, I share your, you know, share your, your opinions on that as well. I, I really, it, the type of injury where it's like, where they probably would be more safe than sorry, I would guess. And so I, I would think that he, he probably is, really ready to go if they're going to if they're going to throw him out there. So, and I think that uh that leaves a, a couple of kind of questions just sort of hanging there. One is is he going to be a full go? Is he going to get his normal share of the snaps? Um my feeling on that would be probably not, right? Um I you know, I but that's that's just me in terms of, I mean, one of your best players we've realized is now clearly one of your most important players on defense. You know, being out for two months with what we thought was a pretty serious injury and then coming back, you know, you, you would think that they're not going to throw him in there and have him play, you know, 60 snaps right away. Um, but, you know, just, just for argument's sake, let's say that he is going to come back and they're expecting him to play kind of his normal snap count, whereas, like, there would probably be rotations and whatnot still. Um, the question after that that gets interesting is what do you do with Key Lawrence, who has played one game at corner now, and I mean, let's let's be honest. He in, in one game, he looked like their their biggest difference maker at that position so far of anyone who has played there this season so far. So I mean, I think him coming back or Woody coming back, it 
could open up some issues maybe, but it could also open up some really interesting opportunities as well, depending on how on how, you know, how many different positions you think Key Lawrence can play. Cause you know that he played he played some nickel at Tennessee, he played some corner at Tennessee. Um, and we know that he was playing safety before he was moved to to you know to corner here. So is this a, is this a situation where Alex Grinch and and Manning are going to look at it and say, God, how can we get our five best guys out there? And does Key Lawrence looking like maybe he can play every single position in the secondary? Does that make it so that we can get maybe Key and Woody on the field at the same time? Yeah, and that's a good question, and that's that's the topic. So first off, I would agree with you that I don't expect him to be playing his full complement of snaps. I mean, they brought Jalen Redmond back for the Tech game, and he wasn't fully out there all the time. Uh, yeah, he only played. I, I I can only venture to guess. Maybe he played fifteen to twenty snaps. Maybe I'm just just ballparking it. And they're hoping that he's going to be able to play more and more here against Baylor, and I don't see why he would not be able to play more. So in that sense, what is most likely to happen this Saturday is that Woody is probably not going to play the full game because I just can't imagine them just throwing him out there. Listen to what Lincoln Riley said. Granted, what's the number one rule you've said on this podcast? Don't listen to anything Lincoln Riley says. Got it. Uh, but let's say the most likely scenario is that Woody is not a full go as far as a full the full game at corner. So in that scenario, it'll probably be him rotating with key and DJ Graham. And then everybody else will be in the same spot. That's probably what's likely to happen. But to your, your other question, and, and I want to give a shout out to Michael who posted on the West of Evers Facebook page during our last podcast to ask about this, to ask about Woody Washington coming back. And it was that, po- that point where we said, Hey, you know, we don't, we don't think it's going to happen until you know, maybe down the line. And so credit to you, Michael, for asking it, because it looks like the question you ask is going to come to fruition. And you mentioned Key Lawrence, and you know maybe he end ends up being kind of the Trey Norwood of this team where he can play anywhere. He's kind of the Swiss Army knife. From my perspective, if Woody is fully healthy and they determine that he is ex- he's able to play a full complement of snaps against Baylor and he's just out there and they're like, hey, man, you're starting. You're not, you're not going to leave the field. You're our starting corner. My dream scenario is for Oklahoma to play Woody there at corner and then play Key Lawrence at corner and then kick DJ Graham over to the nickel position because at nickel in this speed D scheme, it it doesn't seem like it's asking a whole lot from that guy. So why can't an athletic and talented DJ Graham slide over to that spot and figure it out midseason? Graham is a physical player. He's He's a good tackler. We know he has the speed to cover guys. To me, that's like a dream scenario. I'm not predicting that that's going to happen because there's no indication that it's going to happen. But we do know that Alex Grinch doesn't have any problems moving guys around. Now, to your point a moment ago, is Key Lawrence the guy more likely to move and switch positions like that to a nickel? Probably, considering he's already moved safety to corner. And, you know, DJ's kind of been the guy at corner all season long. So maybe it is more likely that Key would be would be that nickel because he wants the best five out there. But man, this is really interesting. It's I, again, my dream scenario. I would love to see Billy Bowman just kicked over to nickel because one game of D, of a uh, key Lawrence playing corner. He just, he displayed to me the, the ability, the technique, the, the instincts of a guy that should be playing corner. He looked like he knew what he was doing there. Aside from a couple of plays where he didn't tackle very well. 
But covering-wise, he was really good. And so just taking him away from corner after that one game, I don't like the idea of that. Yeah, um, but also kind of my, you know, part of me thinks to myself, ah, you know, if they're not actually asking the nickel to do a lot, then, it, I mean, does it really hurt that much to, to kick key into, into nickel to where he can play man because they asked their nickel to play a lot of man, and we know he can do that now. And I kind of like, I, I like Key's ability to, to be athletic and long and maybe blitz a little bit, close in the backfield. Um, but I think, I, I think kind of the best, the, the best part about the idea of having Woody, Key, Graham, DTY, and Fields on the field at the same time is not only are those are your five best defensive backs, those are your five best tacklers in the defensive backfield as well. Um, and I think one of the more underrated aspects of Woody being out is how good he has been, especially was last year, on being physical in the run game and setting the edge and not being kind of dominated by a receiver getting blocked, as we saw a lot from Jaden Davis and his stead this season. Um, I, I thought we saw some of that with with Key against Texas Tech, where he was a lot more uh, he was a lot more physical, a lot more assertive at the point of attack, and in, in, in regards to that. I think DJ Graham has shown sort of a a knack for doing that a little bit as well. He's because he's kind of longer, kind of a more more explosive athlete than some of the other corners that they've put out there. Um, and we 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 know a lot about DTY already and what he does in the box. And I thought honestly, I think I think Fields has been really solid this season when he's been asked to come up um, and make plays in the box and behind the line of scrimmage as well. So um, man, I, it's. I'm not sure if I, I, the more that I've thought about it, I'm not sure if I share your opinion about the ideal being to kick DJ Graham in. I, I really do think if Key can make that work, that would be the best. But still, I, your logic, I think, holds up where it's like, man, you saw Key at corners. That's something you really want to move on from. Um, but I mean, gosh, I, man, if, if they, I, can get, they can get the best five out there, I think that is, I think I that's Key, the most important thing at this point. I thought Key played corner better than anybody's played corner for OU this, this season. I mean, better than DJ Graham has played this year. Uh, and I know DJ Graham got... I agree. I agree with that. That's just... And, and so it makes me think, man, what can he do with, with more snaps? Um, but yes, the idea of key playing nickel, sure. Uh, that makes more sense just based on what we know. And that gets back to you know what I talked about years ago when Alex Grinch got here his first year. Remember, I was the guy that... I wanted a, a bigger kind of linebacker size type nickel player like a Robert Barnes, and that ended up being the total swing and a miss. You get a Key Lawrence type, and even a DJ Graham, because he's about six foot six one. That's definitely more along the size of a guy that I want to see play nickel, because it's like an extra linebacker that can actually play a secondary type spot. And that's kind of what I've always kind of thought the nickel should be. With with Grinch, it, it had been Buki, who was a little guy. It had been Justin Broyles, who's also a little guy, and even Billy Bowman, who's kind of a little guy too, 5'10". And so you... you you get a bigger nickel like that. I want to see how that would play out, especially if you got a guy that can run like key can run and also like DJ Graham can run. That's see that's, and that's, I think one of the underrated aspects too, is let's say, let's say you do go, you end up having DJ and Woody at the corners and you do slide key inside the nickel. I mean, those are your, those are the three guys on your defense who are going to be most, you know, most responsible for playing man coverage across the board. And those are the guys, kind of body type wise, that Alex Grinch wants back there. Um, they're not. Key's the only one who I think is is like is tall, tall. But Woody and DJ are long athletes. They got long arms. 
Uh, they can jump. We've seen we we've seen Woody make plays on the ball where he's had to high point it. Um, and I, I just I, I think that would be interesting. And I- even though you know they they haven't really asked Woody to play a whole ton of man coverage in his in his career, not as much as a guy like DJ Graham or, or Trey Brown. Woody is kind of more along the lines of a guy like Zach Sanchez, where he is like he's he's pretty good at sort of giving space up to the receiver and then sort of cutting off their route. Um, that's kind of more of his of his strength, which that may also allow them to do a little bit more stuff in terms of coverage assignments, if, if that's the case. And I will throw the, throw some cold water, though. The, the only time you've seen Woody play this season against Tulane, I don't recall him playing all that well. I don't think he had a, that good of a he game didn't. against Tulane. No. I mean, nobody really did against Tulane. So, I mean, who knows? Maybe he was... Maybe he was kind of banged up. Maybe he was battling an injury back then. I mean, like we know. Well, actually, I'll I'll tell you. I I do know that that that's possible. I do know that there was possibly something was ailing him going into that game, and then the Western Carolina game was kind of the the straw that breaks the camel back. So let's hope that he's fully healthy, uh, and certainly going to be interesting interesting to watch how the secondary plays out Saturday against Baylor. And I had one other guy I wanted to talk about, but if you had something else about Woody, go ahead. Uh, it wasn't Woody. I just, I just kind of want to point out. I think it's interesting. Uh, I mean, listening to Teddy Lehman on him and you know Gabe's podcast earlier this week, he's he's a big proponent of 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 uh, of rotating DTY down the nickel. Uh, that's that's what he would like to see, um, and and have you know and then have Key come in and play that position. So or uh, that DTY is vacating. So, and we, we oh. we've seen DTY play some nickel this year. He played it. I, I believe it was the against Nebraska. I think he played a lot of nickel. I can't. I don't remember exactly. Um, or no, I think it was Western Carolina actually. So we'll see. I, I I mean my my feeling is that I suspect it's probably going to be Justin Broyles that they run out there at nickel uh, against Baylor, uh, just because you know I, that just sort of seems like the most likely. But I guess we'll find out. So that's. That's interesting because the other guy I want to talk about is Billy Bowman. And we spent some time last podcast talking about Bowman. And I think uh, Eddie on the Sooner Scoop podcast recently said that he's heard that Bowman's been playing safety in practice, which tracks because that's the position that we last saw Bowman playing in the last game in garbage time against Texas Tech when he was out there. He was playing safety. So if Bowman's at safety now, I'm having a difficult time trying to figure out what that means for his chances of getting more meaningful snaps at all this season. But if Delarian Turner Yell is a guy they kick over to nickel, then I don't know. I mean, did they, did they play Bowman more back there along with key or do they, hey. they rotate this key stay at corner and they're just rotating at corner and then Bowman plays more at safety. I don't, man, this is glass, you know, Hey, glass half full interpretation. You hope that they're making that, move because one they've seen something to the point where they think maybe they can help him out there and I mean my hope is that they're you know they're they're doing that in the hope that maybe he'll rise up and he'll take some snaps away from Pat Fields and and that's another maybe that's another move that they've made in hopes of by the time a Big 12 championship or a playoff game comes around maybe Billy Bowman is included in that best five conversation and that's, hey, maybe sometimes we can get Pat Fields out, out of there. And if we have Billy Bowman in, let's say maybe in third and long passing situations, maybe this guy is, is better in terms of pass coverage or has more range or there's a better chance of him making kind of a spectacular athletic play than there would be Pat Fields. 
Um, that's what you hope. I, I think maybe that's probably wishful thinking. I think Pat Fields is, we're going to see him probably play every snap the rest of the season on defense, but I don't know. I mean, if you want to, if you want to throw something out there like that, I, that's theoretically a possibility. Yeah, I like that. That's a good half a glass, half full way to look at it. All right, let's talk OU at Baylor. The Sooners are five and a half point favorites on the road. And we're just going to break it down, the OU offense against the Baylor defense, and then we'll flip it, and then we'll kind of just give our final thoughts what we're thinking about this game. And so, Grant, I think you might be the, the person that's doing a, most of this conversation, but I'll, I do have some thoughts on each different, you know, each scenario. And I'll start it out with my thoughts on the OU offense and the Baylor defense, and I'll let you kind of fill in the gaps. And so, to me, the most interesting thing about this matchup is that Caleb Williams is facing a good defense for the first time. Yeah, Oklahoma has not seen a defense ranked this high since they played Nebraska and West Virginia back in weeks three and four. And Baylor's a team that can be thrown on. Baylor's in the bottom half of college football and pass defense. And we saw Texas Tech take away the run from Oklahoma. And Caleb Williams found a way to throw the ball around the yard against Texas Tech like it was no problem at all. That's a recent example that kind of points into the direction of Oklahoma's offense doing pretty well in this game. But Dave Aranda has had Lincoln Riley's number of late, uh, you know, with a much better team in 2019 with LSU and a not nearly as good team at Baylor a season ago. But what's interesting, though, is that Oklahoma's quarterback this Saturday is better than the guys that Lincoln Riley had in those two prior years. Yes, sorry, Jalen Hurts. Sorry, Spencer Rattler. The wild card here for me is Caleb Williams and and Spencer Spencer Lincoln Riley utilizing Caleb Williams, his strengths and what he can do to open up this Oklahoma offense against a Dave Aranda defense. Because by the time Oklahoma got to LSU in 2019 with Jalen Hurts, Jalen Hurts was not playing his best football. His best football was at the start of the year. Oklahoma's offense was was a lot more one dimensional. And then, you know, last year with Spencer Rattler, they kind of slept walk through that game. And, and Oklahoma didn't really have to do a whole lot, and they still beat Baylor. So this time around with Caleb Williams at full strength and still relatively new but able to do so many different things, I'm just excited to see what Lincoln Riley can do against an Aranda, Aranda defense. And, and also I'm excited to see how it factors in that Oklahoma's got a full complement of wide receivers against a Baylor defense that can be passed on because I think you mentioned to me earlier this week that Something with Mike Woods, he put out on social media that he was planning on being available to play in this game. So Mike Woods being back and Mario Williams and Marvin Mims and Jaden Hazelwood. Uh, so, I mean, and I'm probably... First forget- time Caleb Williams has had the full arsenal of weapons. First time. Well, I think they were all available against Texas, weren't they? They were all playing for... Uh, I guess, yeah, theoretically. But, yeah. I mean, that was also... He came on, you know, he came in the game cold off the bench. and. Right. I know Mario Mario tweaked something really early in that TCU game, I think is when he got hurt. So, um, I mean, yeah, I, I think that's kind of mostly. Mike Woods being back, I think, is a big deal, is a really big deal. Um, just because I, I don't know if we've, we haven't really, I, I feel like against Texas Tech, we saw this passing attack sort of operate at peak efficiency or, or what it possibly could be. And that was without Mike Woods, who I think is a, is a big play waiting to happen every single time that the ball is thrown his way. So yeah, you know, I, um, 
trying to think that the best way to describe this Baylor defense. Um, I think they're well coached. I think they're aggressive. I, um, I think their linebackers are really good. I think their nose tackle is really good. I think Jalen Petrie is the is the most noticeable defensive player in the Big Twelve. Like when you actually watch a defense, he's the guy who jumps out the most at you of any defense. I think that you watch just because of how active he is um, and how you know how important he is to their success. Having that been said, you know, and I, I've been wa- or uh, that having been said, I. I think Baylor's secondary is bad. I, I I I don't think this is the best defense OU has played this year. I think that's Nebraska. Um, and I I think you know going against Nebraska, I think OU is playing kind of with with one arm behind their back with Spencer Rattler and him, his his sort of limited athletic ability and his unwillingness to throw the ball down the field. Um, I think there's absolutely a chance that Caleb Williams can throw for just a whole boatload of yards in this game. Um. And if you just go back to, to Baylor's last three games, Lee, against BYU, Texas, and TCU, man, just a whole lot on the field there, down the field in the passing game in all three of those games. Uh, you got BYU who threw for over 350 yards on only 31 attempts. They they landed some big shots and single coverage down the field against defensive backs who honestly just looked lost trying to play the ball in the air. Um against Texas they had guys running wide open in that secondary fairly consistently throughout that entire game Texas hit on some of them missed on a lot of others um and then you just go back just just watch the game last week against TCU Chandler Morris did whatever he wanted against that secondary um and it it, it wasn't like Baylor wasn't trying to heat him up and pressure him They, they were it's just Baylor couldn't hold up in coverage whenever they were doing that um and so I think I think that definitely presents an interesting situation this week is this going to be something where Baylor really tries to heat up Caleb Williams really tries to get him to make some quick decisions or do they sit back in that shell and just dare them to beat him throw it in the tight coverage um honestly if I I I think it's probably going to be the latter I think Baylor's going to surprise OU by by dropping eight and rushing three a lot of the time we'll we'll see if that we'll see if that you know if, if if that bears fruit for them because I think if Baylor is rushing three, OU's likely going to have all day to throw. They're, they're not going to get a whole lot of pressure because that's something that Baylor struggled with this season. When Jalen when Petrie and Terrell Bernard are not blitzing, they have a lot of trouble getting pressure on the quarterback. It's a good stuff there. I'm looking at some, uh, some explosive play numbers. And throughout the course of the season... Believe it or not, Baylor's defense, and now this is all equal because everyone's played nine games. Uh, Baylor's, you know, Baylor's played nine. OU's played nine. Baylor's defense has actually allowed more explosive plays this year than Oklahoma's defense. Uh, that's interesting. Uh, looking at through the air, you know, Oklahoma, has, the past defense has been awful, and it, it mainly was during that four-game stretch. Uh, actually, against Texas Tech, it was it was pretty darn good. OU only allowed two explosive plays against Texas Tech, and one of them was in garbage time. Uh, Oklahoma's pass defense, we know, is really bad, or has been bad. OU's given up 37 explosive pass plays this year, which is, oh my, I mean, that's that's brutal. Well, Baylor's not far behind. Baylor's given up 34, only three fewer. So what you're saying that, that they're giving up yards through the air, it, it tracks looking at the statistics – uh, both OU and Baylor are, are bottom 100 in the nation. I mean, towards the very bottom in giving up explosive pass plays. 
So that definitely bodes well for Oklahoma's offense going up against this Baylor defense. But you mentioned you know the drop, drop eight, rush three. Caleb hadn't really seen that yet. I guess maybe against Kansas he might have seen it a little bit here and there, I guess. I, I didn't watch back that tape very closely. Uh, so we'll see how disciplined Caleb is, taking check downs, uh, reading things through. Uh, I, I think he can do it. I think he's a smart player. I, I think he's able to adjust. He sees stuff on film, and, and he'll make it work. Uh, very interesting. Anything else on this matchup? Yeah, I think it's – yeah, as I say, I think it's just really likely that um, that Baylor is going to implement that that style that, o, that OU has seen so much this year where they're really going to force OU to run the ball to beat them. I, I, I do think that that's going to be their game plan. And, of course, we know Baylor's offense, they want to run the ball. Uh, they want to control the clock. And so I just I, – I don't see any sort of scenario where that's not their game plan where it's just you know to to run the ball on first and second down, stay ahead of the chains, milk the clock, and then force OU to 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 drive it 12, 13 plays per drive down the field and punch it in the end zone. I, I in fact now that I, that's almost certainly going to be their game plan. Sure. Yeah, I mean shorten the game, uh, classic. I mean what all, all these teams want to do to Oklahoma, it's just they haven't really been able to do I that. Cuz I just think to yeah, Oklahoma going up against Caleb an Williams. Aranda defense especially the last two times that Riley has played him a lot of the time. I mean, it's, it's been the pressure in the blitz looks that have really thrown off Oklahoma. I don't think we're going to see as many of those this week because I think Kayla Williams will destroy those. Um, I, and I, I think, I think they're really going to force him to throw the ball in the tight windows and zone coverage. Let me ask you this, you know, I was listening to a podcast earlier today, a, a gambling podcast, and they were talking about this matchup. And one of the guys brought up Chandler Morris's performance against uh, Baylor this past week and I just watched the first half of that game I didn't see the second half and Chandler Morris looked great I mean he looked really good I mean it uh, he just looked like he knew what to do with the ball every single time very comfortable in the pocket quick Uh, and I just watched the first half I'm assuming the second half he looked really good too and the guy was saying hey uh, you know they just let you know a a freshman he said (laughs) this guy didn't really know fully what he was talking about because he said a true freshman we know Chandler Morris is not a true freshman he's I'm assuming he redshirted last year at Oklahoma uh he's it doesn't matter he's a second year player but he's like oh they let this freshman just throw all over him and now you got Caleb Williams coming in I think you know Oklahoma their offense should be should have a no you know not much trouble at all against Baylor's defense and I heard him say that and I kind of thought man that's kind of what I was thinking so is that such a super obvious thought how much was Chandler Morris just kind of being a surprise for Baylor's defense, you think? Because they hadn't seen any film on the guy, and then he comes out there and kind of shreds them. There's film out on Caleb Williams. I mean, the chances of Baylor being a lot more prepared for Caleb Williams than they were for Chandler Morris is is way high, right? I mean, can we take much from that game? I would say yes, but also what kind of what happened against TCU and Chandler Morris, there was plenty of evidence that 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 is possible against any team that can complete a forward pass. If you just go, if you just rewatch the Texas game, the BYU game, even the Iowa state game where Iowa state had their two tight ends, Kohler and Allen running wide open in the mid range, pretty much the entire game. So, um, I, I think, yeah, obviously there's probably was something about that. Them being surprised by how good Chandler Morris was, but also, I mean, there, there, there were definitely some deficiencies that were there for TCU to exploit, that had been there the entire season. Um, and Baylor's about to go into a pretty tough stretch here where, I mean, let's be real. I mean, they're face- BYU can throw the ball. BYU's been able to throw it this year. Texas 
has been able to land some shots down the field. They've been able to scheme stuff up to get guys open downfield, and that happened consistently against Baylor. Uh, TCU, even with Max Duggan, you could probably argue, you know, is was one of the three or four best passing attacks in the Big 12, even with Duggan. And we we know what Chandler Morris can do. The, the fact that he came in and was really impressive doesn't shock me at all. I, I thought we saw... I thought we saw kind of some some evidence of his ceiling last season where he just looked athletically really comfortable. Um, and then so then you got Baylor now. They're facing OU with Caleb Williams. I, I think it's certainly the best passing attack in the Big 12. Um, and then they still have to play Kansas State, which honestly I think is the second best passing attack in the Big 12 uh, with, with Skylar Thompson. So I, I think maybe there is... I think Baylor, they're real solid against the run. Um, Siaka Ika in the middle of that defense the, at nose tackle is a load. And Terrell Bernard and Dylan Doyle are really good in, in, you know, in between the tackles, in the box. So I think it's, 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 it's going to be a challenge to run the ball against these guys. Um, which I, I, and that's why I think when Dave Aranda is, is sort of weighing how I'm going to win this game, I think he's going to try to rely on Ika and then Doyle and Bernard in the box and maybe Petrie in the box coming up and filling um, than he is trying to generate pressure and get TFLs behind the line of scrimmage. That That's just sort of how I how I feel that they're going to handle this. So we'll see. But also, I Baylor's, Baylor's defense really hasn't been tested this season. And when they've gone up against offenses that are competent, they, they've had the ball moved on them pretty consistently this season. Yeah, the last three games, you mentioned it. I mean, the last three games are the three best offenses they've seen all season, BYU, Texas, and TCU. The best offense they had seen prior to that was probably Iowa State. Uh, I mean... And Iowa State moved it. Brees Hall had a good game. Brees Hall had a good game catching the ball out of the backfield too, which kind of led me to think maybe this is the game. If they can get Eric Gray on Dylan Doyle, maybe this is the game where we see kind of Eric Gray break out in the passing game because I think there may be something there uh, because they had a lot of success with Brees Hall on Dylan Doyle out of the backfield. And you mentioned Kansas State a, a moment ago. Hopefully some of you, you know, maybe some of you live in a state where you can gamble. Maybe you live in Las Vegas and you're a big West of Everest fan and you listen to our big season preview podcast. And some of you hopefully went out and put a little money on the K-State over win total because I told you, K-State, it was at five and a half. I said, that's over. Bet it over, baby. They're already there. K-State, you got a winner in your pocket. I think there's I, I think there's a non-zero chance uh, that K State finishes nine and three, and and that's and OU going into Manhattan and winning with Spencer Rattler at the end of the season is maybe viewed as a really really solid and good win. Uh, that'd be I mean they go nine and three that'd be impressive. They got West Virginia, Baylor, and then at Texas. It's doable, but probably not going to happen. Oh, it's it's sure. I mean, and they could. They could, you know, I think they're six and three right now. Sure, I mean they could probably lose all three of those games too, uh, but I wouldn't bet on it. I think they're. I think K State's a really good team. I'd say, yeah. I mean, nine and three is possible. Eight and four. <laughs> eight and four is. Uh, I, I, I'm not gonna Seems say like probable, but it. Yeah, eight and four would look pretty good for K State at the end of the year. Uh, let's flip the script over to the OU defense against the Baylor offense and. Just like last time, I'll kind of start, and then you'll you'll fill in the blanks here. I mean, it, to me, the offensive coordinator for Baylor, Jeff Grimes, he's clearly a very good coach. I mean, he's he's totally transformed Baylor into a good offense just overnight. And you look at the numbers for Baylor's offense, it's a balanced attack between the run and the pass. Gary Bohannon's having a, a good season, 65% completion, 
8.8 yards per attempt. So he's pushing the football down the field, a 15 to 5 touchdown interception ratio. The, the little I've watched of Baylor's offense, it doesn't seem overly complicated. Although, like a lot of good offenses, there's a lot of misdirection that I've noticed. There's motion. It's going to test Oklahoma's eye discipline, which has been a huge problem this year. And there's a lot of sneaky talent on that side of the football for Baylor. Their receivers, you got Thornton, you got Sneed, a transfer, Drew Estrada. Those three guys are good players, and, and I'm probably missing one or two other guys that stand out. You're missing Ben Sims, the tight end, who is their number three target, and he's I mean, I've seen him in the in the four games I've watched of them. I've seen him go up and make plays on the ball. He's good. So there you go. There's even a fourth guy. And then the running backs, uh, Tristan Ebner is still there. I mean, he's been there since before I think I got to this job in Oklahoma City, uh, which was a long time ago. He's kind of their spark plug guy. But the main dude, and maybe you know more about Abram Smith than I do, Grant, he's their main running back, and he looks really good. I mean, over seven yards per carry, 11 touchdowns. I do you know where this guy came from, Abram Smith? Like, no. he used to play linebacker. I, 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 I know s- he was a linebacker. Um, I had no idea who he was until this season. Didn't watch much of him really until the last couple of days. Yeah, he's a good player. He's really good. He, um, I maybe this is done. He kind of reminds me of Alan Patrick, yeah. um, dusting off an old classic from 15 years or so ago. Doesn't he wear number seven? Um, but probably too? a little bigger. Probably a little bigger. Um, but man, he he oh, no, runs Patrick, low. He's low 20. to the ground. Wait, who are you talking about? Patrick Ward. He was 20, right? Or did he wear number seven? I think he was number 23. I'll look it up. But also, I'm not sure. But yeah, yeah I mean, it's yeah, just... A, he was 23. Good call. Um, But no, Abram Smith's a good player. Dude averages... I mean, I'm pretty sure he leads the Big 12 in yards per carry. Got 11 touchdowns. Uh, he's gonna he's he, he's going to be a big part of what Baylor tries to do. And so that's, that's kind of been the one... So... I sort of have differing opinions while watching Baylor. I one, I think their offense is is pretty fun to watch. Actually, um, it kind of gives me some Sean McVay vibes uh, with with LA. They're probably in the shotgun a little bit more than uh, than LA is, but it gives me vibes in the sense that they kind of run basically three or four concepts just out of a bunch of different formations. That's what they do. Their entire offense is essentially based on outside zone, and they have boots off of that. Um, they have other stuff off of that, like misdirection. Um, and then sometimes they'll spread you out and go empty. And a lot of the times when they do that, it's just a one read quick hitter on a pass for Gary Bohannon. Or they like to run kind of like an, a, an outside power scheme, uh, one that we've seen from Kansas State a lot uh, since Chris Kleiman has gotten there. And so I think it's, a, it's, it's an offense that is, is, is very much execution-based. Um, but one thing that I've noticed with Gary Bohannon, Lee, and I, he's... I will, I will fully admit he's made some nice throws this season. He has fit the ball into some tight windows at time at times. But man, over the last three games, he has he, he's, he's been pretty questionable. Um, all, all five of his interceptions have come in the last three games. Um, and honestly, he probably should have thrown more than the five. He's, he's had a lot of turnover-worthy plays the last three games. And I think it's mo- it mostly comes from he is as much of a one read guy as I've really ever seen guy never comes off of his first read. If it's, if, if the play doesn't is not able to go to that very first read, he, he looks to, to, to take it down and scramble and, and get out of the pocket. Um, 
And I've also noticed if you can get pressure in his face, which doesn't happen very often because they put him in a lot of good positions off of play action, a lot of a lot of one step drops and then throw type type of situations. They've only given up seven sacks this year, I think. Um, but if you can get any sort of pressure in his face, man, he he kind of implodes pretty quickly. Um, and you can tell that he is not very good at going through his progressions, especially when he's under pressure. Um, so it makes me wonder if. Man, if you can if you can kind of take away those little quick slant routes that they like to run, um, those kind of quick hitches and maybe out routes that they like to run. He threw a pick on one of their preferred out routes to end the game against TCU. Um, if you can kind of sit on those and take away his first read, he becomes extremely ordinary really quickly. Looking back, uh, Gary Bohannon, a lot of you, I'm sure, remember, he was one of the quarterbacks who came in and played against OU in the Big 12 title game a couple of years ago when Charlie Brewer got hurt. Uh, Bohannon and, and another guy, I can't think of the other guy who played in that game. but uh, Zeno, Jacob Zeno, I think. Because I think he's still on the roster. I think, I think Bohannon beat him out for the starting job. Zeno's yeah. the backup. And uh, Bohannon was awful in that game. I mean, I know that was two years ago. It's just kind of funny to think back. I mean, he's... I remember that game and thinking, man, this guy is terrible. So when I heard he, he won the job this year, I realized it was two years later. But good for him that he's turned into a good player, though. Uh, I, and he was looking back at his numbers in that OU Big 12 title game. <laughs> Bohannon was 4 of 15 for 56 yards. Did have a touchdown because I, I, I'm sure I've broken that touchdown pass down on this podcast multiple times because it just made me so mad. And he was sacked twice. So maybe that same Gary Bohannon will show up from the Big 12 title game two years ago and Oklahoma's defense will have a field day. Something tells me that's, that's probably unlikely. All right, we got to get going here. I got I to gotta leave in six minutes. All right, so here's my last thing on this. I, I think as long as Oklahoma knows what it is doing on a down-to-down basis in this game, I think they're going to be able to get some stops, get off the field, and actually could play pretty well against this Baylor offense, uh, especially because – Oklahoma's more healthy now on defense than they have been in a long time. But simply if Baylor's offense, their motion, their play action misdirection, it has Oklahoma just kind of swimming and, and they're not reading their keys and they're, they have bad, bad eye discipline, then Baylor's going to move the football and score points like a lot of the teams did during that horrible four-game stretch earlier this season. All right, so you got to get going here pretty soon. You got, uh, final thoughts on the uh, OU defense versus Baylor offense, and then what are you thinking about this game? Um, so I think uh, I, I think the clear game plan here is is force Bohannon to beat you with his arm down the field. I think that's what their game plan should be. Um, force this thing into a shootout. That's what OU's game plan should be because Baylor won't be able to keep up. All right. So what are you thinking about the outcome of this game? Do you ha- do you want to make a pick? Do you just want to kind of give what you're thinking, feeling? What do you what do you, you know? You I think I I feel good. I think I I, I like OU's offense and kind of how they're rolling right now against this Baylor defense who has shown to, to, to give up big-time passing plays this season. Um, I like the matchup there. I still like OU when Baylor, when Baylor wants to run their bread and butter under center, outside zone. I still like OU's ability to, to shut that down more often than not. I, I really do. Um, we'll, we'll see what OU's game plan is in that regard, but I, I, I got a good feeling for this game. And that doesn't mean, like, I mean, it wouldn't surprise me at all if Baylor comes out and plays really well and wins the game. Um, but I, I think this is a game where OU is going to try to it maybe find themselves a little bit, uh, but at least I, I think they're going to look good on offense. I think Caleb Williams is going to keep rolling. Yeah, I feel good as well. I think Oklahoma wins the game. There's a lot of things going in Oklahoma's favor right now. I think 
uh, coming off the bye. They're getting healthy. I, the, the past couple of times, Lincoln Riley's offense against Dave Aranda has not gone very well. I think Riley will have a chip on his shoulder. He wants to score some points. Oklahoma knows they need to win these games, obviously, if they want to get into the playoff because Oklahoma is ranked so low in the rankings. <laughs> ranked so low in the rankings. So they're going to have a chip. Oklahoma always plays better whenever they're being doubted. And also, the Sooners are a small favorite. They're just a five-and-a-half-point favorite, which it seems that seems like a weird number, honestly. Kind of thought it'd be a little higher after Baylor just lost the game. So it, it does kind of seem weird. Like, if I had no ties to this game whatsoever, I'd see that number and kind of think, ah, this is probably a stay-away game. I, If anything, maybe lean Baylor because that number is weird. Because Oklahoma, I feel like, should be should be favored by more. And a similar situation, I think, uh, might have been in the Big 12. Oh, yeah, the, the TCU-Baylor game last week. It was a weird line. TC, it was only... I think it was less than a touchdown, and TCU just fired Gary Patterson. And, that was, and TCU goes out there and wins outright. It was a weird line. And so this is another kind of weird line, which always kind of gets me uneasy, and especially this season in college football. There's been a lot of them, and, and I wish I had them you know, listed out. I don't. But, but I will say here are the updated numbers against the spread. So when Oklahoma is favored by 7.5 or less in the Lincoln-Riley era, OU is now nine and two straight up and eight two and one against the spread. And that includes the Texas game, which is the last time this happened. Now, if Oklahoma is favored by six and a half points or less since Lincoln Riley got since Lincoln Riley has been the head coach in 2017, after that Texas game, OU is now six and zero straight up and five oh and one against the spread. OU was a four point favorite in that Texas game. So I think history is on Oklahoma's side in a, in a couple of different areas. I'm going to back Oklahoma to find a way to win this one. They've found a way to win all season long. History against the spread you know, says they're going to win this game, although Dave Aranda does. He does scare the bejesus out of me. He's a really good coach. That's- really good coach. I, I got a lot of respect for Baylor right now. They, Matt Rule clearly installed the, the physical culture. And I think I, I think the Aranda hire was really was a really like shrewd move by Baylor. It was a real that was a really smart hire. Just sort of building on what uh, on what Rule had already built there was was really smart. Um, one one thing I do want to mention that I think is a really interesting anecdote from this game. Before I I got to get out of here right after this, um, Lee, this is the very first time that OU is playing a game in Waco in the 11 a.m. window since 2008. When Sam Bradford and and the number one team in the country uh, played in Waco at the old Floyd Casey Stadium, you and I were at that game. Um, all other game, I think it's been six games in Waco since then have been played at six thirty p.m. or later. So I just thought that was kind of an interesting, uh, interesting little nugget. Good stuff. Do you want to give uh, quick picks on the five games, or do you want to skip that? Uh, let's do it really, really quick. We can't even do explanations. We just got to do picks. All right. So Grant's going to give his quick picks because he's been hot this year. He's 29 and 16. But since we're going really fast, he's probably going to go 0 and 5 this week. So maybe just not even, not even probably make these picks. Here we go. Michigan we go. minus one and a half at Penn State. I like Michigan to cover in this one. All right. Purdue at Ohio State. Ohio State laying 21. I like Ohio State to cover in this game. This, is one, this one's for you. Iowa at home laying five against Minnesota. 
I will be there. Give me the Gophers. Minnesota plus five. A&M minus Minnesota two, plus five. A&M minus two and a half at Ole Miss. Give me Ole Miss. Ole Miss is a home dog. And then finally, NC State at Wake Forest. The Demon Deacons laying two. Give me the Demon Deacons there just because, like I said earlier, that's just a, it, it's fun. I, I want Wake Forest to win the ACC because that's fun. All right. Those are Grant's quick picks. Uh, I'm also on Michigan. I actually, I'm going to go Purdue against Ohio State. I'm going to go Iowa against Minnesota. I'm going to go A&M against Ole Miss. And I also like Wake over NC State. That's it. We got to get out of here. Enjoy the game on Saturday. We'll be back afterwards to recap it. Until next time, for Grant, I am Lee. This is West of Everest.